We'll be looking this morning at uh, Proverbs chapter 24, verses uh, 3 through 12. Proverbs 24, 3 through 12, as we continue to make our way through the book of Proverbs. So Proverbs chapter 24. I'll begin reading in verse 3. Hear now the word of God. By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. A wise man is full of strength, and a man of knowledge enhances his might. For by wise guidance you can wage your war, and in abundance of counselors there is victory. Wisdom is too high for a fool, in the gate he does not open his mouth. Whoever plans to do evil will be called a schemer. The devising of folly is sin, and the scoffer is an abomination to mankind. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, Behold, we did not know this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. Let's bow together in a brief word of prayer. Let us pray. Father God, we pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us, that you would illuminate our minds, that you would renew them, that you would bring to mind the things that Christ teaches in his word, that you would instruct us, that you would shine the light of truth upon the darkest corners of our hearts, that you would enable us to repent of our sin and to turn from it. O Lord, in this way, through Christ and by the power of your Spirit, we pray that you would further conform us to the image of your Son, and that you would do this to your praise and glory. We pray and ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. Foundations can be the most important parts of a building. I don't want to say that it's the only part, but it's certainly undoubtedly key. The famous Leaning Tower of Pisa in Pisa, Italy, has a foundation that is only some nine feet deep, and that's maybe perhaps not the worst part of it, in that it goes nine feet deep, but it rests upon uh, unsettled clay. And, of course, this clay is not very stable, as we know from history, as that tower has acquired its name because of its lean. Very quickly after the tower was built, it required engineers in subsequent ages to be able to buttress it and to uphold it uh, so that it would not continue in its uh, fatal uh, potential flaw. By comparison, Taipei 101, uh, which is in Taiwan, it's the world's tallest building, which stands at 1,667 feet, Uh, has a foundation that is 262 feet deep, and it has 380 foundation pillars that are five feet in diameter made out of concrete. In other words, if you're going to go high, you really need to go deep. You know, even trees have this particular function in that Chances are, if you see an extensive branch system, you can assume that there is an equally expansive root system beneath the soil that is just as wide and as far spread out as those branches uh, thrust into the sky. Jesus, I think, teaches us a very similar principle 
when he teaches us about the wise and the foolish builder from the seventh chapter in the Gospel of Matthew. He says that everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew on that house, but it did not fall because it was founded upon the rock. There's a sense in which we can say that foundation was sturdy. Conversely, Jesus says everyone who hears uh, these words of mine and who does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains came and the floods came and the winds blew against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. How many of us, whether as children or with our children or grandchildren, have built sandcastles? And we tell the children, don't worry, this will be gone by tomorrow. And we come out tomorrow and it's either mostly washed away or it is completely gone. It matters what kind of a foundation you build upon. Well, Solomon, I think, anticipates Christ's teaching as he continues to employ the wisdom of this Egyptian sage by the name of Amenemope in his 30 sayings. But I think we can say that the Egyptian's Wisdom is like the foundation of the Tower of Pizza. Pisa. Sorry about that. Pizza. Maybe I'm hungry for lunch. The Tower of Pisa. His foundation is deep, but it's not deep enough. Only a house founded upon the wisdom of Christ is deep enough to rise to the heights necessary uh, for the demands of life. And so what we want to do is we want to look at what, this, what, what Solomon describes here and how he explains uh, what we can say is how to build a wise house. How to build a wise house. We want to see what Solomon says first about the nature of building itself. Secondly, what he has to say about the necessary plans. Uh, dare I say, if you will, the architecture, the, the, you know, the blueprints for what it is that we're going to build. And then third and finally, if we build well, if we build wisely, what Solomon has to say about the strength of the building of the house. Long story short, what Solomon is talking about is he's talking ultimately about the wisdom of building, building the Christian life and what that looks like. So let's give thought to first what Solomon has to say about wise building in and of itself. He says that if if we're going to build a house, we have to build a wise house. He says in verses 3 and 4, By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Now I want to observe a couple of things about this particular proverb. First, by the word house... Solomon has more in view here than a physical structure. You know, his, his proverb may draw our attention to thinking about buildings, but it's not simply about buildings that he speaks. The Old Testament, for example, uses house to describe not a physical structure, but rather an entire lineage of descendants. Think, for example, of the promise that God made to David that he would build his house. It's not referring to the building, but he was referring to his his line of descendants, 
his line of descendants. And so here, when Solomon says that, the, 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 that a house requires wisdom that it, uh, you know, for it to be built, I think he's talking about our lives. He's talking about the lives of our children, of our grandchildren, of, of our descendants throughout the generations. I have been privileged uh, to have uh, family members that are Christians that go back for generations. Not everyone can say that. And so in this case, what Solomon, I think he's doing is he's saying, think about your future. Think about future generations. How is it that you can build your house if it's going to last, if it's going to be uh, godly, it must rest in wisdom. And so the entire structure that Solomon describes here in verses 3 and 4 has the characteristics of wisdom. It has a foundation of wisdom. Each of the rooms are filled with wisdom and knowledge. Uh, You know, think of the, the house that doesn't merely begin with wisdom, but it ends in wisdom. In other words, you can have the world's best foundation. It can, you know, go deep, it can be solid, it can have all of the necessary materials to ensure that it will be immovable. But if you do not carry out the rest of that building project with wisdom or with the right materials, there's a sense in which it doesn't matter how firm that foundation is. Now, that means that Solomon is saying, we want to begin with wisdom, we want to end with wisdom, the entire house is marked by wisdom. It's filled with wisdom. Now, whence arises this wisdom? Where does it come from? Think about what Solomon has talked about throughout the entire book of Proverbs. I think he would say that God's wisdom has the same marks all over the creation. Not only does God found the creation in wisdom, it ends in wisdom. It's filled with wisdom. Think, for example, when Solomon draws our attention to Proverbs 6.6, which I think that's maybe my favorite verse in the whole of all of Proverbs. Proverbs 6.6. Look to the ant, O sluggard. Look to the ant. So you find God's wisdom in creatures as small as the ant and as great as this Egyptian sage, Amenemope, who knows all sorts of wisdom so much so that Solomon can gather it in. But we can say that Solomon doesn't simply begin with the tiniest of creatures and then end with the wisdom of Menomope. What he has in view is he's casting our eyes ultimately to Christ. When he casts the words of wisdom and knowledge, what does Paul say in Colossians 2, 3? It's in Christ in whom are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. God begins the creation upon a foundation of wisdom. He, in a sense, ends the creation in wisdom, in the wisdom of Jesus Christ. This was ultimately the goal of Paul's ministry to the Colossians. He says in Colossians 1.9, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So I think what Solomon does is he takes the imagery of building, of construction, and he's telling us, he's telling his sons, build with wisdom, 
Where do you find this wisdom? In the creation. What's the very pinnacle of this wisdom? It's in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In other words, seek the wisdom of God everywhere that you find it, from the least of things to the greatest of things, from the ant to Jesus. And by seeking God's wisdom in Christ, God will equip us so that we have strength, so that we can successfully take victory in the battles that we encounter in this life. Notice verses 5 and 6. A wise man is full of strength, and a man of knowledge enhances his might. For by wise guidance you can wage war, and in abundance of counselors there is victory. Think again back to Jesus' parable of the wise and the foolish builders. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house, says Jesus, but it did not fall because it had been founded upon the rock. I think therein lies the same strength of wisdom that, that Solomon speaks. And I think Paul even, for example, draws upon this same kind of martial imagery in his own letters because of the intensity of the conflict and the nature of the Christian life. What does Paul write in 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5? For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have the divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. What Solomon is saying is if you build with wisdom, you will have strength for the trials of life. It's a strength that comes to us in Christ, by faith alone, through grace alone. But it is a strength nevertheless. This is why not only can Paul use this martial imagery of saying the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. In other words, it's the wisdom of Christ that arms us for the battle of life. But he would tell the Ephesians in the sixth chapter to put on the whole armor of God. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, feet shod in the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. I think Paul is working within this same thought world of which Solomon speaks here, is that the strength of wisdom, if you build with it, protects you in the day of battle. Whether it's against temptation, whether it's against persecution, whether it's against trial. Paul elsewhere writes in Romans 13, 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Solomon is saying, build with wisdom. From the least to the greatest, from the ant to Christ, build with wisdom and it will strengthen you for the day of trial. In all of these things, we have to recognize, however, that it all comes from the grace of God in Christ. You know, it's, it's evident that, yes, Solomon takes some of these proverbs from this Egyptian sage, but he's clearly taken these truths, all truth is God's truth, and he's transplanted it into the fertile soil of the, of the gospel to show us that true wisdom comes ultimately from God, and the only way that it can ascend to the heights of the heaven is if God condescends to us. It's not that we are reaching high to grasp God's wisdom. It is that God's wisdom has come low to us in Christ. 
This is why Solomon says in Proverbs 24, verse 7, wisdom is too high for a fool. In the gate, he does not open his mouth. A fool will not see the need for wisdom. To put it more plainly, the fool will never see his need for Christ. It's always going to be seen as unnecessary. Jesus and the gospel will never be factored as a need. Again, Paul I think, again, speaking in these same, uh, you know, thought patterns, says in 1 Corinthians 2.14 that the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. This is why he's a fool, and he's not able to understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. The only way that we will see what true wisdom is, desire it, pursue it, is if the Spirit convicts us so that we pursue God's wisdom in Christ. But I want you to notice something else about verse 6 that's so important because sometimes I think that we can get the impression that we can acquire and, and receive this wisdom all by ourselves. Now, there's a sense in which God does call us individually to to cry out for wisdom. Solomon cried out for wisdom in prayer. We are encouraged to cry out for wisdom in prayer, unquestionably and undoubtedly so. But again, notice verse 6, for by wise guidance, you can wage your war, and in abundance of counselors, there is victory. What Solomon is saying here is that not only must we build with wisdom, But the way that we can find it is not only in his word, but in the church of Jesus Christ. As we consult other wise people, as we ask for their help, if there's any one thing that we should recognize, that this world is too big, life is too challenging, circumstances are too great to think that we can do it all on our own. We have not been saved as lone rangers. We've been saved to be joined to the body of Christ. And so this is where we find this wisdom. And this is what Solomon is saying. He's saying, build with wisdom, for in it you find strength. And not only in it do you find strength, but consult those around you in the church to find that wisdom so that you can incorporate it into your house. Secondly, a key, another key element in building, another key element in building to make sure that your, your house is sturdy and that it's firm and that it will last is if you draw good plans. You need good plans. You need a good architect. The other day I was invited up to uh, someone's hunting camp with my boys and we went up uh, into the Delta near Belzona and uh, they, had, they tore down one structure, so we spent Friday night just pulling nails out of boards. Okay, so all we do is pull nails out of boards so that we could repurpose that lumber. And um, then we started building a skinning shed. Now, in all honesty, I have no idea what a skinning shed is. I just, you know, just in full disclosure, I, I just know it's used for hunting. So we'll just say it that way. Okay, it's used for hunting. But the person who was building it had no plan. It was all up here. And so it was a little frustrating because it's like, okay, what's the next step? I I don't know. Well, what what do you want me to put this board? Yeah, put it right about there. All right, can you stand there and hold it? I had no idea what I was doing. And I've worked with wood. I've got saws, nails, you know, drivers, all kinds of stuff. 
but I always work from a plan. Now, I'm not saying there wasn't a plan for this particular skinning shed, but it was in one person's mind. He was working kind of off the top of his head. I have no idea how it got finished because we left before it was finished. I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure it's sturdy. The point is this. If you don't know the plan, you can't follow it. You can't build it. So what I think Solomon is saying here is within this thought world of building a house with wisdom, he's saying, think ahead, plan well. If you plan for foolishness, your building will be weak. If you plan for wisdom, your building will be wise. Look at what he says in verses 8 and 9. Whoever plans to do evil will be called a schemer. The devising of folly is sin, and the scoffer is an abomination to mankind. I think Solomon's saying, what kind of plans are you going to draw up? What kind of plans are you going to use? Here he showcases what happens when you plan evil. He says, if you, you plan evil, you're, the, the church and the broader community will call you a schemer. You'll lose your reputation. But Solomon pulls no punches. He also says to think of these things is sin, which means that a fool will ultimately fall under God's judgment, whether now or at the final judgment. One of the things that Jesus says is he says, wisdom will be proven by her children. In other words, if you plan foolish things, it's going to become manifest. It'll be evident that it was foolish like the foolish man building upon the sand. His foolishness was revealed as the storm came and sweeps away his house. If you build with wisdom and you plan wisdom, you put together architectural plans for wisdom, then as the storms come in, your wisdom will be revealed as your house will stand. I think this lends credence to a poetic observation by Scottish poet Robert Burns. The best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. In this case, the fool's plan will unquestionably go awry. How does it work? How is it that foolish plans can lead to bad outcome? Well, well, James, the book of James, again, I've said this before, I think the book of James is the New Testament counterpart to the book of Proverbs. James says in James 1.14 and 15, uh, each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Think of the desire as scheming foolish things, thinking about foolish things, planning about foolish things. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives, brings forth death. If you think of sin, it's going to give birth to sin. And if you give birth to sin, it's going to lead to death. Within the thought world of building a house, we're drawing the plans for wisdom or for foolishness in our minds. In other words, what I think Solomon is saying is he's saying, think before you act. Think before you act. In this case, undisciplined and unholy desire gives birth to sin, and then sin brings forth death. 
So then how can we ensure that we draw up good plans, that we plan ahead wisely, shrewdly, in a godly manner? I think when we're tempted by sin, we're thinking ahead, we're planning, we're wondering, we're thinking through the possible benefits and the consequences. If I fudge this number, maybe somebody won't see. If I fudge this number, maybe somebody won't see. We're thinking about the consequences. We're scheming evil. What Solomon is saying is, I think he's saying, use the same thought process, but in the other direction. If I tell the truth, what will the consequences be? And how will this please my heavenly father? How will this add to the foundation of wisdom for my house? You know, it's like, we went to the store yesterday. My son uh, resells and resells tennis shoes. I don't understand the business. I just know that that's what he does. And for whatever reasons, he was unable to sell a bunch of tennis shoes. So we had to take a bunch back to the store. And in the process, we had five pairs of shoes to return. But there was a six pair, a six pair uh, that we received for free wasn't supposed to be in the shipment, but we got it. They didn't charge us for it. And I said, did you double-check the invoice? Double-check the invoice. Extra pair of shoes. So I said, well, let's take them back. Well, why don't, why don't we keep them? I said, well, we could keep them. And, and within the limits of the law, we're allowed to. But technically speaking, we didn't pay for them. They're not ours. So let's return them because the company's out for a whole pair of shoes. And they weren't cheap. So we went back to the store and we said, okay, here's, here's the shoes, but this we received extra. Um, you know, we want to return them to you. And they're like, well, we don't know if we can take them. Well, why not? Well, there's no paperwork on them. We said, well, we didn't pay for them. They were just given to us by accident. And they, you know, I think they were looking at us kind of like, why aren't you just taking them? <laughs> you know? And they're like, well, we can't give you money for them. We're like, we don't want money for them. They belong to the company. They're not ours. If anything, at a minimum, I wanted my son to know somebody's out money. Yeah, we could take them, and nobody will know, but God knows. He's watching. Are you going to scheme how you can snooker somebody out of something? Or are you going to scheme about how you can make sure that somebody's not cheated? The thought processes work differently, but it's the same process in the sense that one is scheming unto evil, one is scheming unto righteousness. What does Jesus say in Luke 14, 28? I think in this very same Solomonic vein, uh, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost whether he has enough to complete it? I think this means that we have to begin with an honest assessment of who we are. We have to say in our planning, in our architecture, and the architecture of godliness, we have to say, O Lord, I'm unequal to the task of holiness. I am a sinner. I am am given over to temptation. Help me, O Lord. In terms of Solomon, when Solomon prayed for wisdom, he told the Lord, I'm but a child. I cannot be the king of Israel. This is exactly what Jesus says. In Matthew 18, verses 3 and 4, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Only when we say, oh Lord, I'm but a child, I desperately need your help. Help me to plan wisely. Help me to plan godliness, to seek it, to pursue it, to try to build it into my life. Only when I turn to you and express my utter need of your wisdom can I then have the God-given wisdom to say, ah, now I know how to pursue wisdom. Now I know how to put it into my life. Now I know where to find it in Christ and in his gospel of grace. Third and finally, I think we can say, you know, returning to a sub-theme that we, we mentioned earlier under the first point, is if we build with wisdom, if we design our, the structure of our life with wisdom and the plans that we develop, then the result will be a strong building, a strong building. Notice what Solomon says in verse 10. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. I think this is another way of saying if you fail in the face of the challenges, it's likely that you were ill-equipped, that you didn't build with wisdom, that you didn't plan ahead for wisdom. You thought you were equal to the task and thus rested in your own strength rather than in the grace of God in Christ. What does Paul say in 2 Corinthians 12.10? For the sake of Christ, then I am content in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. In other words, what he is saying is what Jesus is saying, which is what Solomon is saying. He's saying, you're weak. That's why you have to build upon the rock. If you think your own strength is sufficient unto yourself... You'll be building upon the sand. And so this is why Paul can say, whether in weakness and in insults and in persecutions and calamities, he stands strong because the winds blow, the floods came, and they cannot move him off the rock that is Christ because he's built upon the wisdom of Christ. He's planned for the wisdom of Christ, and it gives him the strength of Christ in the face of trials. But I want us to know this because sometimes I think we can, we, we can be under the impression that, okay, I'm with you. I understand that. We have to build on Christ. We have to rest upon the rock. We need to plan ahead for wisdom. We need to seek Christ by faith. But what if my faith is weak? What if my faith is weak? What if I'm unable by the weakness of my faith to lay hold of a sufficient amount of Christ so that I can be firmly planted upon the rock so that when the rains come, when the winds blow, when the floods come, I won't be moved. What does Jesus say? Matthew 17, 20, For truly I say to you, if you have the faith of the grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. In other words, when we look to Christ, beloved in Jesus, no matter how small our saving faith is, saving faith 
still saves. When we look to Christ by faith, no matter how slim our faith may be, it's not the strength of our faith that we are looking to, but rather we are looking to Christ's strength to work in and through us. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, Paul says. Only in the power of Christ's strength can we stand in the day of adversity, which is why Solomon then says in verse 11, rescue those who are being taken away to death, hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. Only in the strength and in the wisdom of Christ will we have the power to withstand in that day of evil, whatever it may be. You know, think of of, of those occasions in the scriptures when the weak withstood against the strength of evil. You know, Pharaoh issues his decree that all of the male children are to be slaughtered in Egypt. And who stood up to him? Was it the mighty? Was it the strong? Was it the powerful? It was midwives. Midwives. When the evil plans of Haman were trying to be executed so that he could destroy the people of Israel as they were in exile, who was it that stood up and defended the Israelites? It was a woman. It was Queen Esther. She was willing to risk her life. Esther 4.16, I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. She had that strength because she had a house founded upon the wisdom of God in Christ. That prepared her for that day of adversity. So that the winds, when the winds blew, when the floods arose, when the rain fell, she was planted upon the rock. And in being planted upon the rock, she could stand fast in the day of adversity. It gave her strength to stand in the breach to prevent her people from suffering. For those who think that they can feign ignorance or powerlessness and say, well, I'm not in a position to stand against the strong or to stand against the the mighty. I'm weak. I, I didn't know that people were suffering. What does Solomon say in verse 12? If you say, behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? He calls us to stand in the day of adversity and not to feign ignorance, not to to melt before the mighty. Esther could have claimed that she was powerless. The midwives could have claimed that they were powerless. But I think that they both knew the truth that Jesus has taught us in Matthew ten twenty eight: Do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Do you know what Jesus is saying, in other words, when he says fear him? Wisdom is the beginning. Or fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What Jesus is saying is if you have wisdom... You will fear God first and foremost, above all else, and know that he will give you the strength that you need to withstand in the day of trouble. He will place you firmly upon the rock that is Jesus Christ. So then what kind of house are we going to build? What kind of house will we build? Or maybe I could put it this way, what kind of house are we building? 
Our prayer should be that we would continually seek to draw up godly blueprints, that we would think ahead of how we desire to learn, live, and love God's wisdom, that we would think of ways of how we can pursue greater godliness rather than pursuing schemes of evil. Our prayer should be that God, through Christ, would give us the strength that we need so that no matter how slender our faith might be, that we can have strength for the day of adversity, so that we can have strength for the day of trial, so that we can have strength to stand up against the mighty. Because we would remember that when we are weak, he is strong. In this way, our prayer should be that God would grant us the ability that with our house of wisdom, that he would enable us to to, to weather the storms of life. Everyone who then hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded upon the rock. Let's bow together in a word of prayer. Father God, we give you thanks for the wisdom that you have given us in Christ. Indeed, we see your wisdom throughout the whole creation. We pray that you would give us the wisdom that we would seek it out, whether it's in something as seemingly small and insignificant as the ant, whether it's the wisdom that we see from the sages of the world, because we know that all truth belongs to you, or whether it is the pinnacle of wisdom that you have given us in Christ. We pray, O Lord, that you would grant it unto us, that you would give us opportunity, motive, and desire to plan wisdom, to to, to be good architects of godliness, that we would think of ways as to how we can grow, that we would try to think of ways as to how we could implement it, that we would try to think of ways, O Lord, that we can inspire others to greater godliness and wisdom. And that in all of these things, O Lord, that you would strengthen us. We, We cry out, O Lord, as Solomon did, because we are desperate for your wisdom. We are unequal to the task of life, and we are but children. And so we pray that you would grant unto us the strength that comes through Christ in your spirit. That as we come upon that day of adversity, that you would enable us to stand strong. That when it comes, O Lord, to standing up to those who are powerful and evil, that we would not think of our strength, for we have none. But instead, O Lord, we would think of the strength of Christ and that we would be willing to stand up against sin, to say no, and to intercede on the behalf of those who suffer. At the end, O Father, make us wise. Give us Christ, that we would put on his whole armor, that we would found our lives upon the rock that is Christ. We pray and ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.